Welcome to a day of prayer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Together, let's engage in relationship with Christ through prayer and His Word. I'm being led to discuss the fear of the Lord with all of you. But in order to discuss that, we must discuss the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, is the helper. It's the paraclete. It's the one who knows and searches the height, the length, the breadth, and the depth of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by the same... We'll discuss it in the aspect of moving. He is moving. So in the context of movement, let's discuss it as it relates to the Holy Spirit in the most rational and logical place. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. It's moving since the beginning of time. And if we fast forward to Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. Now, the Apostle Peter, we see, is defending his actions and going to share a meal in the house of a Gentile, which is someone not of Jewish heritage. And he says, As I began to speak... The Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. So as Peter's acknowledging and reporting how the Spirit is moving in the lives of the people, he asks an interesting question, which is where the title of this message comes from. Are you standing in God's way? Or better yet, given the context, we could also ask the question, are you standing in God's way in your life or in the lives of those around you? Let's reflect on that for a moment. As we just mentioned, this is God. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Can we stand in his way? I mean, what does that even mean, to stand in God's way? What does that look like? So if you please turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Verses 38 and 39. Now this follows a wild turn of miraculous events where the apostles are wrapped up, thrown in prison. An angel comes and frees them and they immediately begin preaching the word when they are again arrested and brought before trial. Another day in the life of Christ. A Pharisee, which is a teacher 
of the law given by God to Moses, named Gamaliel, stands up in the midst of this trial and he says, he calls a recess. He wants to have a discussion with the council. And he reminds them of past events in which a man, whether it be one or multiple, rose up claiming to be someone of great importance. And in the examples he gives, in the cases that he gives, he, al- he always said that the followers of this person that made themselves out to be of great importance, in the end were either scattered or were scattered, and the movement became a non-event. So Gamaliel then gives this advice. It says, So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is not of, but if it is of God, excuse me, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. So standing in God's way isn't just blocking him from entering the room. In this case, it's equated to fighting with God. Now, Stephen, who became the first martyr, states it this way in Acts 7, verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just what your fathers did. So is that something we are doing? Are we also fighting and resisting the Holy Spirit? And if we are, clearly... It's not the first time that we've done it. So why would we, why would you, why would I, would anyone dare to fight or resist God? Let's turn together to Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 20. And hear what the Lord gives us for the reason. But as we read this, I would ask that we view it Reflect on and approach it with today's society in mind. And it starts, Declare this in the house of Jacob, and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes to, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not fear me? declares the Lord. Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea in eternal decree, so it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot cross over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They've turned aside and they've departed. They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain in its season, both the autumn rain and the spring rain, who keeps us for the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have withheld good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They watch like flowers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men. Like a cage full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and rich. They are fat They are sleek. They also excel in deeds of wickedness. 
They do not plead the cause, the cause of the orphan, that they may prosper. They do not defend the rights of the poor. Shall I not punish these people, declares the Lord? On a nation such as this, shall I not avenge myself? An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule in their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? So if we are really honest with ourselves, this section of scripture sounds an awful lot like today's society. Stubborn, rebellious, selfish, intent on causing division and strife, fighting with anyone standing in the way of an individual, one, a singular individual's lustful, self-seeking desires. Not look out for the poor, widows, the orphans, even really the victims. Though a lot of what we hear and read about in the statements and various are the creation of various programs claiming to do that exact thing, focusing on those exact topics. That's pretty deceitful. That's lying. And in this, and, and it's, it's telling everyone, I mean, that's another aspect of it. It tells everyone, those in leadership or the common people in society to speak their truth. Not the truth, but their truth. Twist it. Continue in that until it becomes a reality. But it won't. It, it tears people down instead of builds them up. So the Lord, after addressing society as a whole, leaders, us common people, everyday man and woman, then addresses the church, the body of Christ, which is us. We are the chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's all of us. That's everything from pastors, leaders in the assembly, to the person that was just accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everyone in between. And the body of Christ, in this case, has operated, ruled, led the people, not by the Spirit, not allowing the Lord to lead, but by their own power, they've inserted themselves in the place of God. In effect, saying, I can do that. And the body has gone right along with it. That means there's agreement. Actions have taken place. We had a you know, previous background. We had a saying, silence is consent. It's a really sad state of affairs. But we need, we, the body of Christ, needs to fear the Lord. And not fear as in be afraid that at any moment the Lord could just strike us down. Even though he can do that. And he would be just in doing so. That's not what this is referring to. This is referring to a fear of the Lord as in a respect and a reverence. Psalms 2.11 says, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice in trembling. And Psalm 115.13 says, He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. 
regardless of who we are or where we are in this natural life, the Lord will bless those who fear him. So let's get down to the heart of the issue and ask the question, why do we not fear the Lord? Please turn with me to Deuteronomy 5, verse 28 and 29. It says, The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. This is when uh, Moses is speaking with the Lord. And he says, they have done well in all that they've spoken. They said the right things. But oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and their sons forever. That's addressed in both sets of scripture. Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, this, this is a continual thing that must be addressed. The issue is the heart. And our heart reflects what the focus is in our life. In turn, that's what we end up becoming or resembling. And if it doesn't resemble Christ, we need to change. It needs to change. And the why is because it denotes a lack of love. We talked about it was standing in the way of God, was fighting with God. If I'm fighting with you, then I can't have any respect for you. There's been a breakdown in the relationship. And if I have no respect for you, I can't truthfully say that I love you. The actions speak against it. Because if I truly loved you, then I wouldn't want to say or do anything, anything that would negatively impact our relationship. I would think more of you and about myself, my wants, desires, career, achievements, hobbies, feelings, how I'm going to spend my time off. I would think of myself less. But he also addresses lip service. And there we see the days of rendering lip service, saying the right things at the right time, because we've been a part of the church scene, as it were, for such a long time. Those days need to be past us. We, the body of Christ, needs to realign ourselves with God and clear out the things in our life that don't reflect Christ to become conformed to the image of Christ so that the world will see and know that he is Lord through us in the places we live, where we work, and where we play, where we hang out, where we're passing through. 1 Peter 4, 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome 
of those who don't obey the gospel of God. I will tell you, it's not something we can do without the Holy Spirit leading every aspect of our lives. After all, if we are to be conformed to the image of Christ, we must have the same knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is that Jesus had, along with the anointing that was on Christ. So let's discover a little bit more of the Holy Spirit. If you could please turn me to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And it states, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of strength, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now there's only one Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. Let's clear that right now. One Holy Spirit. But this is discussing the sevenfold anointing that was on Christ. And it's made known to us throughout his word. If we look at Revelations 1 4, it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. About Revelations 4 5. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Which are the seven spirits of God? It's not just in the New Testament either. Zechariah 4, verse 10. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. We need to have this same reliance on the Holy Spirit as Jesus did to walk as he walked to do what he did this is verse 3 of Isaiah 11 states he will delight in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear pretty much the exact opposite of what we found in Jeremiah. Jesus sought the Father about everything. And he received answers which were revealed to him through the leading and teaching of the Holy Spirit. And we too can be led by the Spirit just as Christ was. We too can only say the things our Heavenly Father says, and only do the things our Heavenly Father does. But that requires love. 
So if we look at love, how deep was Christ's love towards his Father? Luke 10.27, Jesus has asked what the two greatest commandments are. And he answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And if we turn to John 14, 30 through 31, this is when Christ is about to go to the garden where he's going to be betrayed. And he's having a discussion with his disciples. And he says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Now get up and let us go from here. This is the example set forth for us to follow. The example that was in Christ. His love, Jesus' love, towards the Father was so great that nothing, nothing would be allowed in to compromise that relationship. He was obedient to everything the Father told him. He followed the laws, the the precepts, the commandments to the letter. There wasn't a hook or string or anything the devil could do or say that would negatively impact that relationship. Just walked in complete and total obedience to the Father through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 through 11 states, However, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. We have the same same Holy Spirit that was in Christ Jesus living and dwelling in us. Exactly, saying there's no different. We can walk in the same manner, being conformed, transformed to the image of Christ. But if you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I and many others in this room will tell you He wants to live and dwell in you to show you real love, bring you to life so that you can have it more abundantly. And if we've fallen, if we've strayed, we can still come to the Lord. 
There's a lot of prodigals. I myself am one. And I will tell you that he's faithful and will forgive us and throw our sins out into the sea of forgetfulness. So my hope and prayer is for each and every one of you to step into a deep and wonderful relationship with the Lord. And in that relationship, that you would experience the fullness of his goodness. That you, me, we all would delight ourselves in the fear of the Lord, being conformed to the image of Christ. And walking, walk into the plan, the calling, the purpose that he has for each and every one of you. That decision is yours. Not myself or anyone else can make that for you. That's a choice that you must make. So, I'll leave you with this. What will you do at the end of it? Thank you. God bless.